Ey, pero bien. Hola, my bookish gente. We're back with another episode. Today we're talking about, I'm going to say the, the title wrong again. We're talking about four brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts. I'm your co-host, Joanna. <laughs> and I'm Kalima, and I'm so happy we got it correct. Yeah, I flipped through the cover page. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I wanted to just start off with what was your reaction? I don't feel like I read a lot of nonfiction um, for the most part. It's not, it's not my genre. Right. Not always. So this was, this was like one of my longer reads for me. Yeah. How did, how did you feel? Oh, Wait, so this is home for me. Mm-hmm. This is what I've read for, I don't know, maybe the last, so minus the last four years, every, from the time I was from 18 to say 38, so, so 20 years, just nonfiction yeah. and books like this. Um, and so this was home. It felt good to return home. It felt good to return home to um, a person that is not necessarily my contemporary because I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm older than her, but she's talking about things that I that resonate with me more so than the books that I used to read back in the day, which were yeah. written by like the, the classics. And so while the conversation feels timeless, it's not necessarily something that I, is resonating 100% in my soul. But this felt like truly, truly, truly uh, magical. For mm-hmm. many reasons, for many reasons. How about you? Yeah, I think... Uh, so I resonated with a lot of parts of the book. And I think I appreciated it in the ways that you could reflect and find yourself in it. And maybe because I'm not that big of a nonfiction writer, I mean reader, I sort of wish I had read this maybe five, six, ten years ago. And I think it would have hit me differently from it being like, oh, I can see myself because I had this struggle versus, wow, like I, I am navigating this right now and this will like help guide me right now, right? So it's not about the book. It's actually just about where I am in life and when the book was able to be created. So I love those parts. And honestly, I really do enjoy when people just tell me about their lives. I love like just learning about these topics more by the way that people have lived and experienced it versus full of theory and statistics. Um, I'm, I think like though usually the theory and statistics really overshadow the individual experience of everything. So I did love those parts. And there's like one page in particular that I was like, oh my God, this is, this is who I am. And it's not even a big, like <laughs> big theme part, but it was when she was talking about intersectionality and she mm-hmm. opens it up talking about, hairy girls and I was mm-hmm. like girl <laughs> yes this whole page just you know like everything that we talk about doesn't have to be around how we navigate career and academic right. spaces it's just like even how right. we like move around in our bodies yes. and I was just like yeah I was the girl crying asking my mom please <laughs> oh my let me shave mm-hmm. and my mom was like no and right. I was the girl who lied and totally shaved in secret and then was like oh my god but she's gonna see my skin like what did right. I think was gonna go on you know so there was like a lot of little great parts where it was just about like everyday stuff and not always like the academic space or the career Correct. space that I really liked. Correct. That for me was the space in which I 
truly was able to be in this book in a very different way than I was in for, for previous books. I think like this, this reminds me a little bit of um, Hood Feminism, where um, the author of Hood Feminism, whose name is escaping me right now, Peruge, um, is talking about her own experiences in domestic violence and her own experience with food insecurity. And, um, and so she's talking about policy and she's talking about the ways in which we are sort of um, navigating that. This one is the same way. It just felt so much more powerful to move some of this stuff through an actual experience that was yeah. on the ground. So like the fact that her her uncle was part of the revolutionary freedom movement that was happening in Nicaragua, like you can't, so what she's talking about is not theory, right? Like what she's talking about is her lived mm-hmm. experience as she and her yeah. family have, have breathed that whole thing and they live through that. And so I really, really, really enjoyed this. Um, I think for me, my my part in the book that was like, oh, this is all me, um, was when she was like, I need to talk about being the first. So yeah, I was the first like mm-hmm. to go to college. I was the first to do this. I was the first to do that. But yeah. I'm also the first, um, and I wish I could find it. I'm also the first person to have to talk about suicidal ideation and to talk about depression and like, you know, to do all these things. And I was like, yeah. oh, definitely. Because for me, like, I'm probably the first to be talking so openly and honestly about how, the things that I'm moving through that some some of my friends or my family have never talked about openly. And so I feel so alone yeah. in my own um, in my own journey. Yeah, I think the parts of of talking about being the first always like make me emotional in like happy and sad ways cuz you're cuz there's so much heaviness mm-hmm. to them and there's also so much pride in right. it and I think it's always like mixed in ways that you don't like you don't always know how to navigate or carry right. it, right? Like I'm definitely the first in my family that is like let's talk about all these topics, let's talk openly let's have conversation and they all look at me like why are we doing this and then also when something happens they're like oh let me call Joanna and I'm like you know it's 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 the it's heavy being the first um in a lot of different categories um honestly I feel like if we had hours and hours and hours what I would have loved to do was us share stories about of ourselves through every chapter lens but we don't have hours and hours and hours um, but I do want to share this so part. I, I just want to read this part because I thought it was really yeah, go beautiful. For it. She, so it's in the chapter of Politics of Respectability and she says, being respectable was killing me. Performing perfectly was not serving me. So I had to go through and admit some other firsts. I was the first in my family to attend counseling. I was the first in my family to be vocal about my suicidal ideation. I was the first in my family to leave my husband even when he did not hit me. And that part, like, I mean, this whole paragraph, like the whole thing, but this idea that the only time that you should be leaving your husband or leaving your partners um, is when they're beating your ass. Like, I love that she put that in there because she is talking specifically, and I can't speak to anybody else's culture, but she is speaking directly to what it means to be in the Latinx diaspora, that that is the ultimate portrayal. And even then, some women don't leave because they can't leave. Not because they don't want to leave, but they can't leave. Um, so yes, love that part. Yeah. And then later on, she talks about her sister being the first one to leave the house without being married. Mm-hmm. And like, what a scandal that is <laughs> right. too. And <laughs> right, like even 
in so many ways, like when I left my parents' house after I came back from college, like I would say like, oh, I'm going to leave. And then I would also be like, but where am I going? <laughs> like, why leave your right. parents' house? Right. Um, because it's, is this kind of like almost tradition or like this value of staying close? Um, so I felt that for her sister too, being the first to leave the house without a partner or marriage is a lot. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of things I feel like we could talk about. So one of the topics I think that a lot of people have been talking more and more openly about is imposter syndrome. I don't even know how I feel about the name imposter syndrome anymore, but it's one of those things that everyone talks about so much more openly now. And it also still doesn't feel like it's lessening or going away in a lot of spaces. Um, so in the like theme of sharing stories, I thought it would be, I don't know, just with the conversations we had last time, us kind of sharing our own experiences through some of these themes. So I wanted to give a space to maybe talk about any time that we felt imposter syndromes or any ways that even her own reflections resonated with mm-hmm, us mm-hmm. or stood out. Do you want to um, define imposter syndrome? Because I also think that people relate to this differently and i i was i was happy to see her relationship to imposter syndrome and how she sort of said that it manifested in her um i'm actually trying to see if i see her i was trying to see if i found her definition real quick um oh okay here's the the definition that she has um imposter syndrome is the name for that fear that people will one day discover you to be a fraud it is the lingering doubt that you are not worthy of your successes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like we can fi- we can fill in so many different ways, but I feel like that encompasses it so well. Like, I don't belong here. I didn't earn it. It was given, right? Like, all of those different things that come mm-hmm. in. I would say this. I grew up very differently, right? Like, I grew up with, I'm telling you, I tell people this all the time, Black feminist texts throughout my entire lifetime. So I was reading books that I shouldn't have been reading at a very, very young age. Like, for instance, I read The Color Purple really young. I mean, what the hell was I even doing? Excuse me, reading that book so young. I didn't understand everything of the about the book, but there was there were so many things that were left lingering inside of me. The about sisterhood, mm-hmm. about the way men um, divide sisterhood, and they and that is an intentional decision about self-love and how women are the carriers of the culture. And when, when, um, when, what is her name? Sophia told Harpo to hit, no, when Celie told Harpo to hit Sophia because she had been beaten her entire life, that kind of stuff stuck with me at a very, very young age. So I don't necessarily remember growing up feeling like I didn't belong or that I hadn't earned it because I know I got into a specialized high school and I bust my ass to get there. So I never felt like, oh my gosh, I don't deserve to be here. Um, or I didn't, like, I didn't earn my way in here. Um, but I will say that in my 40s, now that I open up a bookstore and this is a completely different venture, I do feel like, I feel insecure. I don't always feel like I don't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, I question whether or not um, I have the space and the time to do the type of work that I need to do to make the business successful. 
because I do, I know mm-hmm. that I have it in me to do it because I've been taught that my entire life. There's not a single black feminist book that doesn't teach you that. But I don't, sometimes I wonder, like, I feel so far behind the power curve and I feel like, do I have the capacity? Mm-hmm. So I, I yeah. am not experiencing it the same way. And I only can attribute that to having read, like having started to read books at 11 years old about the black feminist experience, having Ebony and Essence magazine, Jet magazines in my household. Um, I just grew up knowing the power of women and, the, and specifically the power of women that look like me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was not my experience. Um, but I think I also, my my experience of imposter syndrome didn't come until way later on. You know, I think growing up in New York City, we're like, I don't, I don't know, just we're like, oh, we're, we're just diverse. We're a diverse city. And it's something that you hear all the time. But it wasn't until I went to college where it was a PWI that I was like, oh, I didn't understand diversity because even though there were instances of being othered in small doses, I never had to experience it in such a big gulp, right? Like, I didn't have to experience whiteness until I was 18 in the capacity that I did in college. And it's like, it's almost like we can live feeling really great until we're in this space full of whiteness. And then we realize like, wait, even though for all of my life, I have felt like I've been in the majority, mm-hmm. like somehow mm-hmm. I'm not, right? Um, and I think in college, I I didn't necessarily feel imposter syndrome yet either, either in those spaces. I think like I went very with like very specific intentions. There were things that I felt like I really gave up to be in that space. So I felt like this is my space and I deserve like being here more than mm-hmm. like anybody, right? Just because I was going through a lot of personal mm-hmm. stuff like at that time. And so it, I didn't have the space to take in white people's doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more like, actually, you're saying things that I don't believe in at all. And I felt really comfortable in in voicing myself and speaking out. And I think part of it was I grew up with my mom, like always speaking out. Um, For a lot of my childhood, it was just her and I, because my dad lived in DR. And I just, I never saw her look intimidated. So I didn't think I needed to be intimidated. And even my dad, you know, he was, he was a person that like growing up, he always wanted me to be like vocal like like it was something that he instilled in me from very very young um and so I never had that doubt and then I think later on when I moved into like the quote-unquote like professional career space um I still navigated it with so much comfort in the beginning and so much like like I was proud of myself you know in so many ways and I think it didn't come in until age became a thing which is so funny because I felt like I knew how to navigate conversations about race I knew how to navigate conversations Mm -hmm. about about gender and then I realized no one in college prepared you for ageism Mm -hmm. (laughs) because everyone there was like your age it was everybody was like your peer it was it was one age group and I think I didn't start feeling imposter syndrome until I was navigating these like spaces with older adults and realizing like I'm going to be questioned every way I go because they're like you don't have 10 years you don't have eight years you haven't like you haven't passed the 
the amount of years, whatever, for us to like respect your expertise or like your creativity or the risk that you want to take. And it wasn't until I got my first like real promotion that I was like, am I, am I doing the most by being in this position? And I remember I like went to my grandmother to tell her like, oh, I got the supervisor role and I was so excited. And she shared a story about a time that like she she was working at a factory and she was being promoted, but she didn't take it because she didn't want to let them know like she, that she was illiterate. And I was like, don't worry, girl, like this is for us. Right. right? Like, so I'm so proud. Right. Like this moment has now been like a grandmother, like right. granddaughter moment, right. right? Like all this magicalness has been surrounded by right. it. And then I go into like my first day in this role. And the first thing I get is like, here, build out this budget of ABC with whatever and I just looked at this paper and I was like I don't even know half the terminology on here and then I like I think that was like the moment that I realized like I can't ask for help because these people who are like you know at that time I was like 23 24 maybe I was like these people are like 35 years old I was like I can't ask them for help because all of their doubts will be confirmed and I think that was like the first time that I was like I don't, I should not have taken this role. I should, like, I did the most. I should have just stayed in, like, my lane where I was at. And it took a long time to realize that, like, I wasn't inadequate. The ways that we train women of color and Black women and queer folks to step into leadership Mm -hmm. roles when they're trying to meet their diversity quotas is inadequate, right? right? Like, the resources that are given are inadequate. Like, we are Right, all the opportunities Um, that you need to... To be able to right. have or have access to to grow into that that role is inadequate. Right. But also like this expectation right. that is set in either implicitly or explicitly in society and our culture and our workforces, where that we are not able to ask for questions because I'm very sure that there are many people who at your age, despite race, class, ethnicity, would have have the same questions, but we are not at, we're not, we, we have a label. We've suddenly moved into this label and it means that we know everything that's associated or that is supposed to be associated with that label. And it's not true, right? Like it's not true. Like we are always at our cutting and growing edge. And so like, how do we create spaces that way? But I want to just say this one thing, because what you're talking about, like you, you faced that when you went to the, when you went to college, maybe the, one of the part of the reasons why I didn't feel like I experienced it in imposter syndrome in the same way is that I went to the military and um and so all of my even there all of my successes had to be well fucking earned like you what you need this amount of um points to to get promoted you've got to run this fast and so if you want to run this fast you got to train this hard and like mm-hmm. everything was well fucking earned and I had to work so fucking hard which was what I wanted to do. And this is who, you know, it made me who I am in terms of discipline and focus um, to do that, right? And I know that people are going to have all kind of conversations and all kind of opinions about the military. I could care less because I have no shame or no regret about my time in the military. And I have a whole fucking politic about why I think like some form of international public service is, it's like probably one of the best learning opportunities Anybody can have, and they should have it right after out of house high school because it actually prepares you for the real fucking world and to see how our policies mm-hmm. impact other countries, right? So, because that's what I learned. But I think that um, 
Yeah. So that I wanted to just name that, that I didn't, even when I went into undergrad in the military, I had already had so much success that I didn't, nothing that they, I I didn't feel out of place. It was, the military is predominantly white um, and didn't feel out of, I felt like they were foreign to me and I, I know I felt foreign to them. Um, but it prepared me to go into other spaces where I didn't see other folks as um, better than me. Yeah. I saw them as like, I was I was socialized differently. In the military, you have to see everybody, if they're different from you, as, your, as a person that can poss- possibly save your life, right? Like, so we are working together yeah. as a team all the time, despite any differences. That was my experience. Not everybody's experience. And I learned later that um, there's a lot of racialized and gender-based violence. And I actually worked high, like very inten- intensely and intimately in those areas. But um, in the training phase, that's what it was. Like, you know, we were like dependent upon one another. So um, maybe that was part of my socialization. One last thing moving it back to the bookstore place, because that is where I really feel, ugh. When people ask me to sit on panels and to like mentor other people, and I'm like, no, I don't, I, I'm not there yet. You know why? Because I'm still struggling and I'm still answering a bunch of mm-hmm. questions. And I think that we live in a society in a time when people say, but you still have something to offer. Like that's imposter syndrome. You still, no, but you also need to know when to stay in your lane because sometimes I do mm-hmm. not know enough. Sometimes I do not have the answer. Sometimes all I'm going to share is my anxiety, which that person doesn't, they, they have enough of and they don't need any more of that. And I think like there's a, there is a space to be so powerfully in your body, so powerfully in your spirit to know when is when, and that is not feeling like you are not good enough or that is not imposter syndrome, not all these crazy t- labels that people want to, it is standing powerfully in who you are spiritually and knowing like, okay, I can pass this opportunity up. I think also there's, for me, there's been this other layer of this is actually something I've talked about a lot in therapy of like there there's like I can feel so secure and comfortable in most spaces where we're talking about like gender based violence and DV because that's been my professional space. Right. right? And so like I have learned to navigate myself in that space so well that I feel so comfortable and confident like voicing my like my thoughts, my opinions, my reflections, my feedback, and it feels good. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can I can securely be here and feel like I own it, right? Like I got my shit together. Right. It's cool. Um, and then there's like this newer space where I'm like putting parts of myself out into the internet. Even this like podcast, right? right? Um, where I think like people be like people have told me like, well, you're like outgoing which I'm not I'm not outgoing at all I'm just a public speaker and I'm a facilitator and so like your comfort a lot of times I put over my comfort so if you feel if I feel like you're anxious and awkwardly quiet I'm gonna try to dissolve that for you right like it's not because I'm outgoing it's just I'm also a cancer like I can't I can't ride out your emotion this whole time Right. right um and so I feel like a lot of people have always encouraged me to be like in these like Pub, more public spaces and I'm just like y'all no like I don't I don't know that I I belong right, there right. and like now I've slowly been entering these spaces and even now like I'll make a post or we'll recording an episode and I'm like do y'all really want to hear me like do y'all really want to read this right and sometimes 
there's like, I think I experienced, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome, if it's like insecurity, if it's vulnerability, right? But like, there's so much vulnerability in being in spaces like this, where we're not talking about something that we can just like look up, analyze and report back right. on, right? We're like, here's my internal thoughts and emotions and reflections and my experiences as a human as I navigate all these really hard things. Right. And I hope it lands well with you. And also sometimes it's not. And like, I don't know that I'm ready to receive like when it doesn't land well with right. you, because then how do I keep going? And so like, there's all these layers to so much where people who may be experiencing things like imposter syndrome or feelings related to it, like it doesn't just happen in our career right. in academic spaces. Right. It can happen in our creative spaces, Absolutely. in our family spaces, Absolutely. right? And I think there's just so much to it. And all the time I'm just like, there's like days where I'm like, yes, I'm winning. I'm doing great. Right. Everyone, yes, we, we've we checked in. And then other days I'm just like, y'all, like, I don't know. Right. But you know what? I, That's I have nothing so new. fucking normal. And the other thing that I want to say is that you're going to move to a place eventually where you're not going to care. Because it's not going to be mm-hmm. about, like, when I first, when we first, when I first started Capricorn Libros, there was a lot, like, there's a lot about me honoring my Latinx ethnicity and me honoring my Black racial identity and how um, folks feel about that. Because sometimes they feel anti-Black to other folks and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's complicated. And then I had to get to a point where what is my most authentic self? Right? Like, what is the mm-hmm. most authentic voice, my authentic intention? And once I'm living in that, I don't care. I, because yeah. it will I know drag we're, us. We're going to be wrapping up a little bit fast today because we have a hard stop. But I think even the in the book, she talks a lot about the male and white gaze. Yes. And I think, like, what you're describing is that, right? Like, kind of shutting out those those different gazes that have us performing sometimes for years or through our careers, our academic spaces of what is the right way to act or yes. how should we sound right. or how do we dress ourselves, right? Like, And I think a lot of folks talk about imposter syndrome without talking about the, the like that, that other part of like, how do we live authentically and also like call out this male or white gaze right Right. because it is a lot of pressure and sometimes some of those parts are so ingrained that even when we think we're doing our best we don't know we don't see how it's rooted in the patriarchy or we don't see how it's rooted in white supremacy and it's it's just a lot of different things and i think i i really appreciated her reflections on the male and white gaze because i think um a lot of times that part of the conversation isn't placed with imposter syndrome. Right. A lot of it's like, what can you as an individual do to be more confident versus how do we debunk that all of those pressures are actually myths and we don't need them in our lives, Correct. right? Correct. Um, like, let's get to the system part of it. Let's let's get to the root of it versus you just need to be more confident right. as a woman of color. You just need to be more confident. It's both as and, right? Like, it's both and. But, right. it, but in that confidence, in developing that confidence is to debunk and to sort of understand like what like what is happening people you can make a very conscious decision to code switch and most people do 
because it is part of it's it's just part of the game on some levels. It is right, right? and like I think like Insecure. I don't know. Do you watch Insecure? Remember they Molly addressed oh, it with this. Absolutely, <laughs> I watched Insecure. Where Molly was like, "Hey, girl, um, you want to tone that down a little bit, you know?" And like had to mm-hmm. like talk, right. you know, sort of like grapple with this idea of like what does it mean for us to coast switch. But I'm gonna tell you, I have worked with some of the most progressive white women um and some not so progressive and they also Mm -hmm. are code switching they are also turning up the Mm -hmm. voice and turning up the the hospitality and like never pushing back and all of that is code switching because guess what what they really want to tell you is go fuck yourself but they don't say it they put a smile on they heighten that voice they make everything into a question they do all of that bullshit and so really like it it is more dangerous for people of color and folks you know of the diaspora to to engage in that because it, it really is um, chipping away at our souls in a very different way than white women. Yeah. But we also got to understand that this is a larger issue that everybody is mm-hmm. playing into and it needs to be stopped, right? Like we need to like stop it in its mm-hmm. track. So even for my students, I would say like, I'm not sure. Are you asking me a question or are you, st- you are, is that a statement? Because I need to know how to respond. If it's a statement, I'm going to sit and receive what you're saying. If it's a question that I, I am pulled to respond but I'm not really sure what it yeah. is, right? But I also don't want to police right. women's voices because that's another way of saying, like, you're not good enough and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But it's, like, it's so complicated. It's the both and, like, inviting you to be paying right. attention to how it's you're like showing we want, up. We want, to, we want to support uplifting and we also want to dismantle. And also we can't uplift you in the most, like, open ways that maybe we want to all the time right. when, like, the barriers still exist, right? right? Where it's, like, I don't want to say all right, in front of this person, say this or don't say that. And also, I don't want to let you go into that room with you saying that and me know that now that door is going to be shut in your Correct. face. Because we haven't been able to be able to like Correct. remove that person from the room or, or like get that person to admit like the way that they see things are biased, right? right? And so like we're, I think like, is this really hard space where... It's like, let's call out everything. And also, those things are still there. And so we still have to navigate them. And so I don't want you to experience the same barriers. And I also want you to, like, navigate them. And it's hard because it's all these other spaces. And even with being a Spanish speaker, I think of, like, co-switching all the time of, like, when I try to sound like I speak more, like, standardized Spanish. Oh, my gosh. She spoke about that in a book. And I love Spanglish. Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, my gosh. I don't okay so we have a hard I don't really we have this yeah answer, we have oh it's, but yeah, maybe maybe I think like we should record again and like continue this yeah. conversation because that 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 whole section about all the shit that she had to do what in terms of language our next episode we just talk about language we talk about spanglish we talk about spanish we talk about navigating we could refer back to this book and any other spaces where it's come up yeah we could but i think that there are other like i would like to continue to talk about some of the other chapters in the book right so you wanted to talk about um you had a whole list of things that you want to talk about and we didn't necessarily i, did. get I also to. wanted to talk about merit 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 yes yes you want to talk about that and i think that that's a really important conversation to have so let's just have a part two oprah has it all the time so it's doable all right let's do it um all right quickly last book you read and your current read um okay this is not the last book i read but this is a book that i have been talking about and thinking about for a very long time 
Um, I think I mentioned it last week um, or two weeks ago. I just, uh, Sally Mooney, I'm not, it's not my last read, but I've been rereading parts of it because it has been mm-hmm. um, so such a powerful experience for me. And then um, I'm now currently reading Get a Life, Chloe Brown, and was reading for Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. So had those three. Love it. Um, I finally finished Sia Martinez and the Moonlit Beginning of Everything, mm-hmm. the same author from Moon Fuentes. And I really, really liked right. it. I, it was, it was, I liked it. Um, she's definitely moving into like, whatever she publishes, I'm just going to read it. Don't need the synopsis right. aisle just in my, in my life. Right. Like, it's good. Um, I received the arc yesterday for Amor Actually, the ah, um, Latinx yay! holiday anthology. So I've been re I've been reading that. And since this is like coming out way later, I can also say we're actually I'm actually gonna be doing lives with all the authors on oh Instagram. So I'm like fangirling hardcore. And then I'm starting Flirting with Fate by JC Cervantes. It comes out in April. Yes. And um the cover is beautiful. Yes. So I'm I just I'm reading it like for the cover more than anything yes, too. Yes, 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 yes. I just saw that. Um why did I see that? Oh, because I just created a list. Um, and yeah. was going through my, my most anticipated books for the, for 2022. And that's on it. I think that's on it. Floating with Faith. Yeah. The cover is beautiful. It sounds great. I, yep. I just. And we were going to read, um, uh, our next book was going to be, um. I don't remember. <laughs> I think Julia Takes a Breath. Oh, yes, right? it is. All right. Our next book is Julia Takes but a Breath. Not, if you haven't read it, go read yeah, it. Yeah, but it's, it's not going to be this. It's not going to be next week's episode. No. It's going to be um, the, one, the after. one after. And y'all, there's a graphic novel. So if you prefer graphic novels, go get that too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love a graphic Yay. novel. Perfect. All right, mi gente. We will be back in two weeks with a part two of Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't we get this right? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Prisca. We, we we defer to you. We do honor you. We love you. <laughs> yes. All right. Perfect. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey. Pero bien.